may sound a bit stuffy this morning. I've been sick for the last couple of days. Um, and so if I sound a bit nasally, uh, that, that's why. Um, but I think it kind of links well into our passage this morning. Um, every time I get sick, I kind of project what happens when I die. It's kind of very sombre, but like I go, I'm sick now, oh, I'm going to die soon. Um, but like when you kind of think like that, um, you kind of think, when was the last time uh, you thought about heaven or hell? I mean, even if you weren't sick this week, when was the last time? If I asked you when was the last time you thought about it, uh, when would it be? When was the last time you thought about heaven or hell? I think the reality is we don't think about it that much at all. Um, we lead busy lives, and so we rarely think more than a few weeks, uh, months, or maybe even a few years ahead of our current point in time. So if you're in university or in school, you might be thinking about your next tests, next school holidays, they aren't too far ahead. Maybe you're even thinking about a graduate job if you're nearly finished university. That's kind of what you're thinking about. Very rarely we start to kind of think about heaven or hell or even death. Maybe if you started working, you're thinking about your next promotion, the next time you get to go on holiday. You might be thinking about your retirement, but that's kind of rare for those that are very prudent and, and like to save. Well, maybe that's you. But very rarely will you start to think about heaven or hell, your, your eternal destiny. See, life is so busy. Weekdays go by in a blur. Weekends are filled with, for me anyway, afternoon naps, for you probably social engagements. And so very rarely do we stop and ponder what will happen at the end of our lives. If you open up the Bible in the book of Hebrews, uh, we read this. People are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. See, if you look at the Bible, uh, we see that everyone shares the same future. And we will stand before Jesus when he returns again and we'll end up going to one of two destinations. Heaven, a place where God dwells, a place filled with joy, goodness and abundance, a place that is absent, devoid of any evil or suffering. Or hell, the absolute absence of God, a place filled with wickedness, suffering, eternal torment. And so if we're going to end up there anyway, ultimately all of us, we should really consider our eternal destiny. See, unlike an apartment or a house or maybe a school or a boyfriend or girlfriend that you can kind of move on from, heaven or hell is not something that you can just change when you don't like it anymore. Wherever you end up, you will end up there for the rest of all eternity. And so John is writing to a church community in this letter. He's writing to try to talk about what happens when Jesus will come again. Uh, do you notice there in our passage in verse 28, uh, we kind of not, he's saying when he appears at his coming, he's referencing Jesus' return again. And the Bible reminds us that as Jesus comes again, he will judge everyone. Everyone will stand before him and account. And he will decide whether it will be heaven or hell that we go to. The question that we want to ask ourselves of this, this passage and this community is, where does the, the readers, where do their confidence lie? Well, what is their confidence in? And maybe even a more pointed question to you is, where does your confidence lie? Where does your assurance lie that you will be in heaven with Jesus for all eternity if you died tonight? See, friends, I want us to re- recognize this morning that the assurance that the church has, that John gives the church, is the assurance that you can have this morning. Look there at verse 28. And now, dear children... Continue in him, remain in him, so that when he appears we may be confident, we may be unashamed before him at his coming. 
See, John reminds this church community that your confidence is where you will ultimately end up is grounded in you remaining in Jesus. If you were to walk out this door and remain thinking one thing, remember this, your confidence of being with God and Jesus in heaven for all eternity is grounded in you remaining in Jesus. That's kind of nice, that's kind of, that's good, remaining in Jesus, but what does that mean? Well, last week, Pastor Pete reminded us that remaining in Jesus is to uphold the message that John proclaimed. Jesus is the Christ, he's the Son of God. He's not just man, he's totally divine as well. And that he's died on your behalf and brought you back into a relationship with God. But this week, John reminds us of a few other things of what it means to remain in God. Two things, and then you're in your outline. Uh, To remain in Jesus, to remain in God, means that your life will reflect the character of Jesus. Your life will start to look like Jesus. And the second thing is, not only will your life start to look like Jesus, there will no longer be any sin in your life. Two things. Remaining in Jesus is reflecting the character of Jesus and then no longer having sin in your life. So let's look at this passage. Verse 29. Uh, We want to see abiding in Jesus, remaining in Jesus, means that we reflect Jesus. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Uh, John is saying if if you've met Jesus, if if you truly know and have a relationship with him, your lives start to become transformed and changed to look like him. Knowing Jesus is not just to intellectually know who he is, but to respond to who he is. And the reason that John gives us, well, it's there in the passage, we're born of God. Let me read to you from the Gospel of John. This is what Jesus says. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 and 13. This scripture reminds us that if you really have a true relationship with God, uh, there is a supernatural birth that takes place in your heart. It's not just this outward change. You don't just do better things but your whole body is transformed. Not just your actions, but your thoughts, your desires, your hopes, your ambitions are conformed and shaped to become like Jesus. If you're born of God, you start to desire what Jesus desires. Through the Holy Spirit, there is this desire to grow in love, in joy, in peace. You want to be more patient. You want to grow in kindness and forbearance towards other people. This is the new way of living of what it looks like when you remain in Jesus. It's a reflection and John says your confidence then, your confidence of all eternity is linked to what your life looks like. Your lives become this external evidence of an invisible and spiritual reality that has taken place as you come into relationship with God. You hear that? Your life, as you look at how you're growing, gives you confidence that you'll be with Jesus in all eternity for hev- in heaven. As you hear this, as you kind of hear that your confidence should be grounded in your life, you kind of, well, first of all, you might be a bit scared, a bit anxious. You think over the past week and you can think of multiple ways in which instead of growing to become like Jesus, long-suffering, patient, kind, you've kind of gone the other way. And in those moments, your conscience weighs on you heavily. You don't feel restful at all and you kind of wonder whether God's Spirit really lives inside of you. And so when you hear these words, instead of being comforted, saying, yes, I am God's 
son or daughter, yes, I will be with him in heaven, you actually feel more anxious. Is this you? Are you worried as you hear this? Can I say be encouraged? See, it's not natural to recognise that you walk away from God instead of towards God. It's not natural to constantly seek to grow in a way that pleases and honours Jesus. It's undoubtedly the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart if you have this, this sensitive conscience. And so instead of being anxious and afraid and doubting whether you'll end up, if you die tonight in heaven for all eternity, be encouraged to see the work of the Spirit in your life. Be hopeful that new life is at work inside of you. But another way to kind of respond to this is to, to respond to these words with an overconfident certainty. I mean, you too, like the other person, can list multiple ways in which maybe you just haven't lived as a, as a follower of Jesus should this week. However, instead of feeling a heavy conscience, you figure that eh, God's gracious, He's merciful, He's going to forgive me. You kind of have a desire to, to grow and to become more like Jesus, but you know that God is kind and compassionate, and so you don't really apply yourself. You don't really try to grow um, in being more humble. You don't really try to grow in being patient. And you, so you hear these words and you're like, I'm, I'm good. Heaven, that's, that's me. Jesus, we're buds. It's all good. If this is you this morning, can I urge you not to take your sin lightly? Do not abuse the grace and mercy of Jesus. Do not be overly confident in assuming your eternal destiny. Yes, God is kind. He is compassionate. But so he's holy and just as well. Those who truly know God, those that are born of him and are children of him, move, if not slowly at times, to become more like Jesus. If your life isn't on a trajectory that, that shapes you over the years to becoming more like Jesus, you should be more worried than confident. You should not persist in these things and continue to have a confidence of your eternal destiny. See, friends, what I want to remind us is, is that our actions do not save us. John is not saying, and I am not saying, that if we do good things, then Jesus will say, yeah, come, come to me because you're, you're good. He's saying, John is saying that your new life in Jesus should give you confidence. And so when you demonstrate compassion to those who are weak and powerless, when you exercise humility, when you want to boast and be proud, when you grow in forgiveness to others, even though you really don't want to, then you can grow in confidence that you are remaining in Jesus, that there is new life in your soul and that your eternal destiny is secure. See, friends, just as the fruit is the evidence of a healthy tree, so too does fruitful action of new life reflect someone that truly knows God. And so this born-again motif is not just in verses 28 and 29, but carries on through the rest of the chapter. I look there with me in, in verse 2. It's, it's the motif that keeps on going. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what, will be, will, what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Uh, being part of God's family means uh, we become like God. I'm not sure if you've ever met uh, someone and then you met their sibling, and then their sibling reminds them of the other sibling. Um, if you've ever met uh, Sherilyn's uh, sister, she lives in Tamworth, and I met her once, I was like, you remind me of someone. Then Sherilyn came on and goes, this is my sister. I was like, whoa. And the idea is that like, in the family, we start to resemble each other, and so much not just siblings, uh, but parents and siblings as well. 
And so John is reminding us that if you're a child of God, if you're an authentic child of God, uh, then you will be conformed and shaped to become ultimately like God the Father. And so in this passage, in verses 2 and 3, it reminds us that in the future we will be exactly like our brother Jesus. Uh, A commentator writes this, In the future people will be conformed to the image of the risen, exalted and glorified Redeemer. Uh, They will be clothed with imperishable robes of glory. Friends, if you're a child of God, that is your ultimate destiny. But John is not, um, he's not living in the clouds. He realises that we aren't perfect right now. And so he says, we are people that are slowly growing and maturing to become more like Jesus. The narrative of our lives is that the child of God is constantly turning from their old self. A self that wants to assert themselves as king, uh, to live a life of sexual impurity, deceitfulness and rejection of God. And they are now constantly, daily turning, growing to submit to God who is king, living lives of gentleness, patience and self-control. Friends, this is what a child of God looks like. They constantly recognise areas in their life where God is working at, where he's pressing and prodding on because he loves them. Where's God working in your life today? See, friends, as we note these, we grow in confidence that we are God's children, that we will be with our Father in heaven for all eternity. And so this new creation life blooming in people's lives gives us confidence that we know where we will ultimately end up. It leads us ultimately to be people in verse 28 who are unashamed. We're confident and unashamed. Do you notice that back in verse 28? If we abide in Jesus, we become confident and unashamed. It's a bit odd though. Why would we be unashamed? Well, see, in many aspects, uh, the world out there um, doubts the fact that any of us are children of God, that we actually follow a true and living God. More than that, they would seek to, to shame us for following this God. I mean, think about it. If you hold Christian values in this society... Uh, you're declared a bigot for upholding a traditional view of marriage. You're declared stupid for believing that God created the world and it was not science and evolution. Uh, You're declared naive for believing that a man rose from a grave and there was born of a virgin. You are constantly rejected. But John says this is not a surprise. Chapter 3, verse 1. The reason the world did not know us is that it did not know him. Uh, Jesus was hated and he says, Do not be surprised if they hate you. But see, friends, as you remain in him, believers not only have a confidence of where they will ultimately end up, but they know they will be unashamed. When Jesus returns, they will be recognized as true sons and daughters of the living God. The decision to follow in Jesus will be justified. If you remain in Christ, if you live out your new creation life to shape you to become more like Jesus, you have confidence not only of where you will end up, but of what Jesus will say on the last day, where he will welcome you and said, you are mine for whom I have died. Friends, remaining in him looks like living like Jesus and that gives you ultimate confidence of where you will ultimately end up. But it's not just becoming like Jesus. Our second point, real, real children of God actually no longer sin. Lies that no longer sin. Look there, um, it's crystal clear in verses 4 to 10. Uh, Verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Skip ahead to verse 9. 
No one who's born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Absolutely clear. Jesus, the Son of God, is sinless. He's come to take away the sins of those who would trust and believe in him. And so if you are a child of God, you no longer sin. John is talking about this integrity that we should have as Christians. It's not just talking about loving others and being kind and compassionate. It's actually living like that as well. Authentic Christians can't just talk about it. They have to live it out. It's easy to know who are the children of God. It's easy to know who should have confidence in their eternal destiny. It's those, well, we're supposed to look for those without sin. How confident do you feel this morning as you look at the past week? Real children of God do not sin. Yet what have we done? There's a bit of a conundrum here. And John seems to kind of contradict himself. In verse 7 he says, The child of God is righteous and sinless. But if you remember back to a couple of weeks ago in, in chapter 1, he says, well, you know, you're a liar if you say that you're without sin. Uh, if you have your Bibles open at chapter 1, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. On one hand, John says a child of God is sinless and perfect. So on the other hand, he says a child of God, well, you know, obviously they're going to fall into temptation. In a matter of a few verses, John is confused, or so it may seem. Uh, well, to go to kind of reconcile what John is talking about, we need to understand how he's kind of describing uh, sinfulness or what sin is. See, the normal way we kind of think about sin is to think about it as a breaking of or a disobedience towards God and his commands and how he calls us to live. Um, Jesus says, you know, if you kill someone, that is disobeying God's commands, it's breaking God's commands. But then he also says, if you are angry towards someone, you also are breaking God's commands. Both our actions and our thoughts can be a rebellion or a disobedience towards God. To sin in that, in that context is a breaking or infraction of the law at a point in time. But the way John is talking about sin here is slightly different. He isn't focusing on a specific action, but more so an attitude uh, that, that is holistic towards someone's life. Look there at verse 5. Uh, sin is described here as lawlessness. Uh, If you look at how this word lawlessness is used throughout the whole of the New Testament, it's not really associated with a point in time action or with someone uh, breaks the law. Uh, But it's more so describing of a holistic or a sustaining attitude that rejects God. It's this lifelong pride that says God is not good, that he's unwise, that he's not loving. It's adopting a posture of pride, one like Satan's, that seeks independence from God. This is what a child of God has nothing to do with. If you claim to know God yet persist in sin, you certainly do not know God. You're actually friends of Satan. And so it links back to last week, doesn't it? If you have your Bibles on chapter 2, look at verse 22. John was writing against those that had denied Jesus was the Christ. John says they did not continue to uphold the message of faith. In many ways, they, they embodied this sin, a rejection of who God is and what he said he had done. And this week, John is continuing that theme. If you persist in denying that Jesus is the Son of God, then you cannot be counted or considered to be a child of God. If you're a child of God, you're marked by accepting that Jesus is the Christ. You're marked by trusting God as creator and king of your life. What does this all mean? Well, it means simply this. If you want to remain in Jesus, and then you constantly accept the uniqueness and great work of Jesus. 
See, many people today might consider themselves to be part of God's family. You know, they might say, I believe in Jesus. You know, I think he's a great example of love and compassion. And I want to follow him. I want to be loving and compassionate to others. But then they think, you know, ultimately, you know, I really think that God thinks I'm a good guy. I've done all these things and yet I've fallen down and, you know, I haven't done the best at all times, but I'm pretty good overall. I think God, you know, me and God are okay. Other people say, I believe in Jesus. I think he's a great way to kind of really know who God is. But the reality is there are so many other great guys out there that, that help me learn about how to get to God. You know, I don't think it really matters. I think it should be kind of an equal opportunity type of thing. It doesn't really matter. Everyone leads us to God. See, these people seem to, might appear to, to love Jesus, to appear as children of God who, who affirm who Jesus is. But ultimately, they're unwilling to affirm Jesus' unique power to save. They ultimately deny the essence of who Jesus is, the unique Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you want to be certain of where you will ultimately end up and consider yourself a child of God, then your lives need to be marked by a lack of sin. You need to be marked by a constant spirit that, that testifies to the greatness of Jesus. A spirit marked by humility, acknowledging your need for a saviour, acknowledging that Jesus is the only one that can save, and that without him, you have nothing. Two very simple things to remain in Jesus. Grow to be like him, and constantly acknowledge who he is. And so as we conclude this morning, I want to ask us a very simple question. If you died tonight, would you end up in heaven? How confident could you say, yes, that's me? Our time here this morning has been to remind us that we can have great confidence in that. If you remain in Jesus, if you grow to become like him, if you constantly affirm that, yes, he's the son of God that saves my sin, then you can have 100% confidence of where you will end up, even if you died right here, right now. But you may still not be sure. You may not be 100% sure. You're like, oh, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. I just came here to church today and you know, just checking it out. Can I say that you can today, right now, be 100% sure if you died right here, where you would end up? In a few weeks, we celebrate Easter. Uh, Christians celebrate Easter, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, on Good Friday, uh, the day Jesus died, two criminals were crucified or put to death alongside with Jesus. Um, soldiers, the crowd, all mocked Jesus for being a pretender, someone that thought he was a king and a saviour yet would die. And both these criminals observed these people slandering and mocking Jesus. One of those criminals, however, started to see who Jesus truly was. He did see him ultimately as a son of God who had come to, to die for his people. And that criminal, as he was about to die, says this to Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Recognises Jesus as the king. Recognises Jesus as the one that would die for his people. You know how Jesus responded to this man? He says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. There was no probationary period. Jesus didn't say, well, you know, you're probably just, you're doing a deathbed conversion. How authentic are you? Just in five minutes, if you really say that again, then, then I'll, I'll, I'll accept you. Jesus, right there and then, today you will be with me in paradise. Absolute confidence. If you want certainty of your eternal destination, that's all you have to do. 
You accept of the fact that you have walked away from God. You accept that just as wicked as you are, Jesus loves you with a gracious and forgiving love and that he has died in your place. Friends, accept Jesus as the good king who calls you to live in his kingdom. If you do that, you can be 100% certain of where you will end up. For many here, though, you've done that. You've said, yes, Jesus is my king. But sometimes there's those moments in your life where you have a lingering doubt. Like, oh, yeah, you know, pretty good, but today I'm not really feeling it. There's uncertainty, a restlessness that plagues your heart. And then along comes Satan. How can you call yourself a son of God? How can you call yourself a daughter of God? I mean, look, look at what you've done. I mean, you may have tricked others into thinking that you're born again. I know what you've done in secret. I know what's happened behind closed doors. There's no way that you're a son or daughter of God. There's no way that you should have confidence. I think the song uh, before the throne of God captures this moment beautifully. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. In moments when confidence in our eternal destiny is shaken, the answer is not to try harder, uh, to do better and become more like Jesus in hopeful, uh, hopefulness that, like, yes, because, see, look at my actions, I'm certain. The answer is to look beyond our actions and abide in Jesus. I read from Hebrews at the beginning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn there. Hebrews 9, verse 9 to 26, page 973 of your Bibles. Hebrews 9, verse 26. Page 973. The writer writes this, But he, talking about Jesus, has appeared once for all, at the culmination of all ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. See, friends, confidence will likely waver at times. But we can have absolute and unshakable confidence in those moments as we look beyond our imperfect actions to the perfect and complete work of Jesus. That doesn't make it easy. It doesn't mean that there's a magical pill that you're like, yeah, nothing can touch me. And so in those moments when you're struggling to figure out what it means to remain in Jesus, I want you to uh, remember two things. First, to constantly reflect on what Jesus says. And the second is continue to claim the promises that Jesus makes. So first, reflect on what Jesus says. In John 10, there's this beautiful passage about John, uh, Jesus who says he's the good shepherd. Reflect, memorize stuff from this chapter, John 10. John 10 verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Memorize that. Reflect on it. Abide in Jesus. That will give you confidence of where you ultimately end up. Not only do that though, prayerfully claim what Jesus has promised. In that same chapter, John 10, in verse 28, Jesus says this, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. 
what great assurance that those who are known and chosen by God will never be let go. Friends, be confident. You are a child of God. You are His for all eternity. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at this passage and are reminded about what it means to be a child of God, we are given great assurance that as we see evidence of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives, that we can be confident and unashamed at the coming of Jesus, that we will dwell with you forever in heaven. O God, in moments when we are uncertain and our confidence is shaken, may we turn to you and find great confidence in the finished and completed work of Christ who died for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a challenging word um, that we've heard from Pastor Jonah this morning.